And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's time to talk about the topic that defined All-Star Weekend, other than LeBron James and the wonderful show that he put on. Uh, and with us is just a guy who does a great job covering the New Orleans Pelicans, Mr. Andrew Lopez of ESPN. How are you, sir? I'm I'm wonderful. I'm enjoying Mardi Gras week. It is nice and sunny down here. It's it's fantastic weather. I can't can't complain at all. You have any Mardi Gras plans? I I think I may be going. Are you part of Are you part of a crew? Or are you part of a float? I am not. I, I do not. I've not. I've never ridden in a parade before. Uh, it's it's probably a bucket list thing that I'll do eventually, but um, may go out to to one parade on Saturday, one of the one of the bigger ones. But uh, I, I other than that, I'll I'll let everybody else have fun, and I'll I'll, I'll stay on the couch and watch basketball. <laughs> you are on this podcast right now. I mean, I love your company. You, you always do a great job on the podcast. I like talking <laughs> ball with you. You you are on this podcast right now to try to help me answer one question, <laughs> and the question is. Should Jackson Hayes be a full-time power forward? That's not the question. The question is, what in the hell is happening with Zion Williamson? Where is he? What's going on? What did CJ McCollum say today? You're just fresh from shoot-around or practice or whatever. What did anyone else say on the matter today? Where is he? How much does he weigh? What team does he want to be in? What in the hell is going on? <laughs> Uh, let's start with, uh, first of all, Jackson Hayes should be the full-time power forward moving forward. Let's, let's just knock that out. Uh, but no, when it comes to, to CJ, obviously CJ and Zion, let's go back to all-star Saturday night, just to kind of reset this for anybody who just ignored all-star weekend. But, uh, CJ says on TNT Saturday night that he has not spoken to Zion Williamson yet. He had talked to people in his camp, but he had not spoken directly to Zion Williamson. That caused everybody to go, uh, to go crazy. Since then, um, he told Amalika Andrews on Tuesday, uh, she reported on NBA Today, that he had talked to Zion. Today uh, was the first day that we had a chance to talk to him uh, since kind of all that. I, I didn't even get the question out to CJ completely before he cut me off. And his exact quote to start was, Leave the young fellow alone. He's trying to rehab in peace, trying to get himself ready to come back. We spoke, and I'll I'll speak to him later this week or next week. Um, later on, he he goes on to say uh, he'll be healthy eventually, and when he is, we will welcome him back with open arms. Uh, since then, Zion has started to share a couple of posts, which has not been uncommon for him uh, throughout this process. Of uh, I think they tweeted "Happy Birthday" to Devonte Graham the other day. He shared this. Um, Billy Hernan Gomez tweeted something uh, about uh, he tweeted a picture of, of I think it was him and Jackson Hayes picking Zion up. Uh, so everybody is trying to say the right thing right now. The one person who has not said anything and continues to not say anything is Zion Williamson. And he is kind of letting everybody else speak for him right now. It, it, it puts some of the guys, it puts Willie in a, in a bad spot, Willie Green. Obviously, CJ had to talk about it today, but. From a team perspective, everybody's trying to play this down as much as possible, which I don't know how you can play this down as much as possible. But uh, the sense that I get, even talking to CJ and then before, is that the locker room is like, hey, when, when he's ready, we'll be, we'll be fine. We're ready to go. Do you, do you buy that? I buy the locker room part. I do. Uh, whether or not this is where he wants to be long term. I know he had that big declaration at media day that said, you know, this is where I want to be. And, you know, going back to all that stuff, he said all the thing, right things at media day. 
Uh, does he really want to be here? I don't know. Are, is everybody on the team saying the right things right now? Yes. The sense I get from the locker room based on CJ's comments today and based on things that I've heard in the last 48 hours has been the team is when he's ready, we're, we're ready. Let him do what he needs to do. Uh, understanding that they, I mean, Willie Green and CJ talked about the, the mental aspect of dealing with the foot injury of not being able to play and reading the things you have to read about yourself online uh, day in and day out. They, uh, they understand that side of it. Willie talked about being injured. I think his second year kind of, you know, missing a lot of time. CJ McCollum is a guy who's dealt with foot injuries before in his career, understanding that, you know, it's, it's a certain part of a rehab process. And if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work um, to, to the foot injury itself. Let, like, I don't think that he is holding out. Like, I don't think Zion is healthy right now. And is just like, I don't want to play for New Orleans. There, I, I I agree, but continue. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Just want to put like I know that's something that some people are out there tr- like trying to say right now. It's a legitimate issue. It's a legitimate bone healing issue. Things are not healing the right way. Um, is this where he wants to be long term? That I don't know. He has. I mean, you go back to his uh, comments from September. You take that at face value. Things maybe have changed since then. But inside the locker room, they are ready to bring him back. Yeah. Look, it's not like I've seen x-rays and medical records, but my impression is he's injured. Yes. And foot injuries are weird things. Broken feet are weird things. They heal at different rates, and sometimes there are setbacks. My my impression is I I have no reason to not think this is a legitimate injury. Why is he in Portland? It is – there was a time when, when he was down here and in talking to multiple people around the team, he, he was not in the best uh, state when he was here uh, in, in terms of, I don't, I don't want to use the word depressed, but, but he was unhappy just, just being here. And this was a place for them to kind of, you know, step away, you know, some of the best times that I think he was training maybe in, I think it was in Los Angeles over the summer. And I think part of it was kind of recreate that atmosphere, right? Go, go kind of be on your own. If you want to have whoever's out there with you, it's, it's you, it's your stepdad, it's whatever trainer you want to have kind of try to recreate that atmosphere. Um, You know, if he is, he is in Portland, uh, Nike headquarters is not that far from Portland. Uh, You know, so it, it is a place where he can go and just be uh, kind of to himself during this process where he doesn't have to be in the building and see these guys uh, every day as he wants to be out there with them every day. Are you, When you say recreate the environment you have over the summer, are you indicating that the, the team was encouraging of this decision or it was semi their idea or it was just something that they were told was happening and they were okay with it? What do we know about the sort of iteration of that? It was, I, I, it, I believe it was a mutual decision. Uh, I think the, the Pels were very much in on this. This was not a, hey, I'm going and, you know, see you later. The, everybody was in on it. I think they may have had a, a few locations and they decided, hey, this is maybe the best one. Look, the Pels were in on it. The Pels got him out of New Orleans to Portland. Like this was, I mean, he flew on, uh, according to what I was told, he flew on Gail Benson's jet. Okay. Like he was like, they knew everything that was going on in this process. So they were in step with that. And he was like, 
where, where do we need to go? And I think it was a, a, a mutual decision, maybe led. Uh, I, I don't know who maybe took the, the lead on it, but it was not a, hey, I'm just taking off. See you guys later. It's, hey, let's try to figure out a place where you can go. I think this is the best place. Okay, I agree. Let's let's do this out there. It's a very tricky situation to to suss out because on the one hand, I understand why everyone, not everyone, corners of the media and Twitter sphere are assuming the worst from the Pelicans' perspective, which yeah. is that he's done. He's leaving. He's gone. Right. He, he, he doesn't want to play for the team. Because everyone, first of all, all the Pelicans fans live through Anthony Davis, right? Second of all, I think actually the name that's more relevant here is Kawhi Leonard because this th- th- that was a very similar sort of, mm-hmm. wait, what's the nature of the injury? It's a leg injury. Where is he? Wait, he's in New York working out at the Players Association headquarters. He's not with the team. Oh, I'm sure everything will be all right. We'll welcome him back with open arms. Oh, he now plays uh, for the Raptors. Um, and, and so optically, that's how it looks. Um, obviously, a lot of the media has been somewhat guilty of making making this New York noise over the years. Like Zion wants to go to New York. Zion said he loves Madison Square Garden. So I, I, get, I get how it looks. Uh, on the other hand, he's injured. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a real, it's a real injury. And... Unlike Kawhi Leonard, he has not, and Anthony Davis at the time, he has not signed his second contract with the Pelicans or any team, which leads me. And by the way, I think this team with Zion is a pretty good team. I mean, yeah. you and I were high on them. I was relatively high on them as, as, a, as a really good play-in candidate before the season. Uh, they just traded for C.J. McCollum, which is a deal that Frank I could take or leave. But the, the, regardless, Ingram's really good. McCollum's really good. Valanciunas has been playing well. They've got Herb Jones is a legit NBA back-end starter or a good bench guy who can play a lot of different lineups. It's a good team. And Zion, you know, the Morant thing has has made people want to compare Zion to, like, Odin or Bowie. Like, those guys never had... Right. Zion almost made all NBA last year. He was an all-star starter. Like we know right away this guy's a flat out. He he was Shaq with a dribble. He was Lawrence Taylor playing basketball. You could not keep him away from the rim. Like he's a star if he plays, which makes this summer so interesting. Because maybe he'll play this year, maybe he won't. I don't know. But do you what, is he going to play this year? What should I I don't even know anymore. I've asked I, I don't I don't know the answer. And I I don't think they know the answer yet. And that's that's kind of part of this is it's scan after scan. It's this doctor. What you know? What do all the doctors say? I, I, I mean, I would lean. I, I mean, at this point, you're just running out of season, right? You have 23 games left. The season is over in six or seven weeks. You're just running out of time. Uh, even if everything, like if they came out and said everything is fine tomorrow, he's going to start ramping up for what? To, for eight, ten games. So I, I think you can start to make the assumption that I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't think he is going to play this year, but it, I, I don't know. And on the on the one hand, this cuts in a lot of different directions. On the one hand, I'm only two games out of the play-in tournament. The team above me, the Portland Trailblazers, who, by the way, owns my first-round pick from, what, 4 to 14 or something like that? Uh, 5, five to, 14. to 14. 5 to 14. Um, it is, the Blazers just shut down Yusuf Nurkic. They're going to start shutting down everybody. A lot of hamstrings because are coming. <laughs> There's gonna, they, they are. I mean, they're playing above their heads. This new group with Justice Winslow and Josh Hart has been super frisky. It's been fun to watch. Simons is drilling threes from all over the court, floaters from everywhere. But they're eminently catchable 
from any team that can play competent basketball for 23 games. The Spurs, sure, the Spurs are fine, whatever. I mean, the Pelicans should be able to beat, should, should be able to outplay the Spurs and get into the play-in. And I have incentive, and 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 so like I don't need to rush Zion back. I can I can do this without Zion. On the other hand, man, any help I could get because right. the lower I can, the lower I can make that pick, the better I feel about this trade I just made. So I don't I don't really know what to expect. But you're right. Like there does come a point where it's like this has been our team all year. We just made one big change to it. We're adjusting to that. You can see Ingram adjusting to McCollum and like trying to figure out, okay, I got another ball handler here. How do we cooperate? How about how do we split things up? Like we're kind of used to this now. Are we going to throw this guy in for five games, eight games coming off a broken foot? Is that actually worth it? And then you get into the summer, Andrew. The very, the very important summer. So what the I, – I just can imagine – I don't even know what to imagine. <laughs> I just don't even know. Let's just say he doesn't play again this season. I have no information. I'm very clear. I'm I'm very willing to say I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play this season. Okay, let's say he doesn't. So he's played 85 games in two in three seasons. Yeah, missed the entire season. Currently, is he actually going to walk into a room and say, "I want the max, five years, super max language, fully guaranteed." Give me the max. And if you're the Pelicans, what the hell are you supposed to do? Do you say no? Do you say no? And hovering over all of that is if you say no, then he plays his fourth year. And I have said on many occasions, someone sometime in the next decade and a half is going to take the qualifying offer. Some star who just wants to get the hell out of where he is drafted is going to take the qualifying offer because it's so big now. Zion's is $17 million if it gets to that point. And it's going to be someone with a huge shoe deal that can offset uh, the financial setbacks. And I've said before, Zion fits the profile of the best candidate to do that, except he's injured all the time and probably needs to guarantee on some level all the money he can guarantee. How I don't even know how to map these negotiations. What's going to happen? Yeah, so... And then uh, you talk about the qualifying offer being that 17. That's if he hits his starter criteria next year. If he is still injured... And misses a certain amount of time, that number is going to be cut oh my in half. God, I haven't even, I haven't even, you just broke my brain. I haven't <laughs> even thought of that. Uh, so we really don't know what, what even that number is going to be like based on what he's looking like. I think if, if this is a scenario, again, it, and you don't know, I don't know, just based on, I mean, everybody is still waiting to see what these scans say, what the doctors say. If he does not play this year, that's 85 games in three years. Is he going to walk in and want a, a full five-year max? Sure. I, I think any player in his position would try that. But, I mean, do you start to – do you embed that contract? Do you embed it up and put all these sort of protections I, I in think there? You, I, think you, I think that has to be your counter. I think and, you're just your counter has to be say, look, Zion, we know. We saw what you did. You're Shaq with the dribble. 27 and 7 Can't, on 61% shooting last year. We saw point Zion. Like we just we just started tapping into Point Zion. This team was built around the idea of Point Zion. That's why you were starting Devontae Graham the, the way you were because Devontae Graham was essentially going to be your two guard with Z playing the one for X amount of minutes a game, and that's a, one of the reasons you had to go out and make a deal for a lead guard like CJ McCollum was to kind of counterbalance that a little bit. We saw it. We know how good you are. You just haven't played. Your injuries and your body type are legitimately concerning, not only to us, but to the rest of the league who's monitoring this situation with bated breath. 
we got to build in these incentives, bonuses, triggers, whatever, as the Sixers did with Joel Embiid. We just have to, you have to be understanding of that. And I just don't know, I don't know where the conversation goes from there. I really, really don't. I think it's one of those things where you can see that there will be, this seemed like something that shouldn't have been, there shouldn't have been much negotiation. If he would have played out this year as is, it's, hey, you walk in, this is the 5, 180, whatever it is right now. Okay, good. Thank you. Shake your hand. Goodbye. And it's just not going to be that, I think, right now. I mean, because of the 85 in three years, it's, I mean, if he doesn't play this year, um, it, it's a tricky situation. And, and it's something that the the, the Pels are going to have to look long at before they decide what to do. And then if if he doesn't, and we get to the to, to him playing that fourth year out before then t- signing the, the qualifying offer, I mean, does he even make it to that point? Do you do you try to 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 look at deals at that point and and obviously I mean that that could be we'll we'll see what happens if he doesn't do anything if they don't come to some sort of agreement this summer but I, I don't even know if you let him get to that point where you know QO is the the, the QO is even on the table for him. I think that is very astute of you um, to bring that middle ground possibility up because more than any situation I can ever think of for a a top ten pick coming off a rookie deal. This is just normally pro forma, right? You're a restricted yep. free agent. You either get the max or you go into restricted free agency. We match your deal. Sometimes there's a hiccup like Gordon Hayward signing a three plus one offer sheet from Charlotte or whatever. But this is, and but, and and I don't want to sidetrack it into a, any sort of, sort of ethical debate about the draft or whatever, but there is a case to be made for players to say, wait a second, my career is like 12 years uh, if things really go well. Yeah. Is it really cool that my... The team that drafts me, I have no say in who that team is. I mean, I have some say. I can try and withhold medicals and do all these other things to junk up the draft. Gets me for minimum seven, eight, nine years of that career, and I just, I just have to do that. Like that, we, we can debate that if you want. I, it's a debate that's been done to death. We all know it exists. Yeah. I don't know where it's going or where it's headed or what the solution is. I don't even know that that's really relevant anymore in this case because. I just I don't know what's I don't know what is going to happen here. I don't know what is going to unfold. I do know that the threat of the qualifying offer to me, and this is just this is just thirty thousand foot view, not reporting, not reporting. The threat of the qualifying offer to me feels a little bit less real now than it did at the beginning of the season yeah. with Zion having missed this entire season. Now it could reemerge if he plays next entire season because that's when you would take the qualifying offers after your fourth season. So I don't know what the hell is going to happen here. It's, uh, it is going to be – it was always shaping up to where it, it could be a unique situation, as you said, somebody taking the QO off of their their first deal. But now, I mean, because of the time – I mean, if, if you're Z, you almost you, – you kind of have to be on the floor next year first, and then you kind of let everything go. But I just, if I'm the pellet, I don't know if I want him going into restricted free agency. And I would think about maybe doing something before you even get to that point if he makes it clear that he won't do the extension. Again, that's projecting down the road. We don't know what's going to happen. He has not really been in, uh, you know, been around Willie Green that long. Willie Green has, has kind of started to change. Like the culture is definitely changing. In New Orleans right now, just based off the things Willie has done, they bring in C.J. McCollum, the stuff that Garrett Temple has done with this locker room. Brandon Ingram has taken big steps as a as a as a passer, as you alluded to in ten things last week, uh, and uh, as a leader on and off the court. He is he is the guy right now here. When when C.J. was was brought in, the first interview we had with C.J. McCollum, we asked him what 
made you want to be in New Orleans? And he mentioned, and the first thing he says is, have you guys seen B.I. play lately? Those guys are figuring it out. When healthy, you can make the argument. New Orleans has two, three top 40 guys, three top 30 guys, uh, depending on how high. 30's, 30's, ag- 30's aggressive. If you want to say right. it. I mean, based on how, how, you know, whatever you want to rank, you can make arguments, I guess. But, I mean, the, the, the bones are there for a good team if Z is, is plugged in, which is why if he is healthy, maybe you do give him those final five, eight, ten games of the season. To, to let him try to figure things out, go in to try and maybe make make some noise in a play-in, and then you plan for next year. So it is it is something that will definitely be uh, be watched this uh, this summer for sure. I do think they're a good team yeah. if they have Zion. They're decent now. I mean, they're they're decent is not they're they're twenty and twenty I think since their horrendous start, and they've they play hard as you said. It's very clear the culture there is healthy. Um, they got to save their other max slot for Herb Jones. I mean, it's give give Herb or Jones the Jacks, all the money. Or Jackson at the four, either one. Or Jackson at the four. I will say though, I haven't. I'm not sure if you could reverse engineer all of this to exactly this way, but I'm pretty sure you could. I'd rather have Lonzo Hart, the pick I just traded, and just sort of pick a placeholder minimum salaried center or whatever than McCollum. Graham and Valanchunas. And I think that is actually an either or scenario that you could yeah. reverse engineer. I'd rather have that first thing than what they have. I re- Cause I think Lonzo's a good two way player Hart, I mean, you saw Josh Hart and Portland fans already love Josh Hart. He was incredible he was this sick. year. I mean, Josh Hart and, came set courtside the night he was traded. He was a it's por- amazing. Right? It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in professional sports. Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander Walker sitting courtside in Brandon Ingram seats, watching and cheering for a whole game. Like, Josh Hart wore Brandon's jersey. It was one of the more incredible things I've ever seen. You know, when I did a profile of Brandon last season, Hart, it was communicated to me that Josh Hart would really like to talk about Brandon Ingram because they're very close and he really likes Brandon Ingram. Uh, and Valanchunas has been great for them. I just am not sure around Zion that I want to devote that much salary. And it's not that much salary. The extension that Griff signed him to is a good extension. I just like that other path a little bit better. But I, there's no question that when you plop Zion into what they have now, this team's a fun team, yeah. a decent to good team, and a team that if Zion's rolling, like is no is no fun to play against. I just just it just feels like it just feels crappy. And really, sometimes sometimes things are how they look, right? Sometimes things are how they look. Sometimes this this looks bad. He looks disenchanted with New Orleans. He looks like a disengaged teammate. To some degree, he probably is a disengaged teammate as JJ Redick blew him up for being to, to some degree. I'm sure like almost anyone, he wonders, is this the right place for me? But, but it could also just be like the dude has a broken foot and it's not healing well, or it's not healing on the timetable they expected, which isn't necessarily better than the other thing, but also just could, that could be all this is right. Yeah. I mean, it's look, we see, we saw Zion get injured at Duke when he blew out the shoe. And there were people around him who did not want him to come back at Duke. And the first thing he did was he was like, no, I want to come back. He comes back for the tournament, for the, for the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament. When he, when he injured his meniscus his first year in New Orleans, originally he was going to be out six to eight weeks. He comes back in 13 weeks. Uh, he, even then, he, was, he wanted to be back a month earlier. When he is hurt, there was a, oh, a, a situation last season where he, he hurts his thumb, and normally you need surgery on that. And he would have been out for, I think, a month at that point. He decided to play through that injury. He wants to be on the court with these guys. And I do think that is weighing on him that he cannot be out there with them. 
And maybe that does cause some of, you know, him being, uh, you know, disengaged a little bit. I, that part, we don't know. They, we, we haven't talked to him. We don't know about, about that side of things. So it could be as simple as him just worrying about the, the injury stuff. And that's just kind of how he processes things. You know, he, every now and then, like I said, he, he'll share something about something one of his teammates does or anything like that. But uh, for now, it's just I think it, it's it's stuff that is is just kind of I don't know, it's haunting him a little bit that he just can't be out there. Well, and this is hardly an original thought and has been voiced many times. I don't know what kind of condition he's in right now, but he's got to get in better condition because he's he is a once in a lifetime athlete yeah. that can do lots of special things and that involves landing really hard on the on the floor on your feet and your legs and and we've seen that his his conditioning has not always been where you'd want it to be I, is there any inkling on where he is now he's just got he's got to get in peak what they shape. Well, the last thing you heard was he he looks good and that's what that's what griff said at um when they went to uh, at the trade deadline, Trajan Langdon did go up to visit him. The tra- uh, Trajan Langdon is the Pels uh, general manager. Uh, all indications are he is in great shape right now. I don't, I don't know a number. I would assume he is. Yeah, down. He is, he is down. Right. But I, he looks good. He physically, he is supposedly looks good right now um, to where maybe if he was again, if they said tomorrow, all right, we're starting the ramp up process back up it wouldn't take as long as maybe it would have taken at the start of the year where, you know, conditioning became an issue. So um, right now it, it does seem that he is, he is in good shape for, for where he wants to be, where they want him to be. Ab- Absent Zion, what's one thing you're really interested to see about this team for the next or last 23 games? What's one thing you got your eye on? So we mentioned, we kind of joked about the Jackson at the four stuff, but they are kind of shifting to this new starting five uh, where it's going to be CJ, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Jackson Hayes, and then JV at the five. Um, the JV Jackson lineups started out great. They have kind of plummeted. Um, I mean, they just they played a good stretch. They, they were one and five, one and four in their last couple of games. But they, it was Miami, Memphis, Dallas. They lost San Antonio as well. They but they they waxed a great, a really good Toronto team using one of these. Uh, talk to Willie Green. He they are going to go with that starting lineup moving forward. I want to see how Devonte Graham plays as a six man essentially. Uh, and what other like little tweet are we going to see some Trey Murphy minutes? Are we going to, uh, is, you know, Tony Snell going to get a big chunk of that right now? The, the, he's, he's shifting some of his lineups. That's been something Willie hasn't done that. Uh, he, he'll do it after a couple of games. If he sees something he doesn't like, he's going to move. And going with this bigger starting lineup with CJ at the one is, is something I'm kind of looking forward to. It's going to be interesting to see how that works. Did anyone else speak about Zion today in media sessions just, or, or, just or Willie, other than CJ? Just Willie and Willie kind of played it kind of played it safe of, you know, he'll, he'll be back when he's back. We're going to keep it in the locker room. He didn't, he didn't get too, too much into it, which has kind of been Willie's thing uh, all year. We did learn that Larry dance and Josh Hart switched houses though. That was, that was kind of fun. Oh, that I didn't know that they switched. The, the, I, I guess you can, I've heard other stories. That's fun. Okay. I think JV and Steven Adams did that when, when they were traded for each other uh, this past summer and then JV ends up getting his own house, but I think they did the same thing. So maybe it's a Pelicans thing. And Larry Nance, they have not ruled him out for the season, right? No. They're like holding out the possibility that he could play. He was an important part. That trade went from eh, "don't really like it" to "okay, I can, I'm okay with it" because so, of Larry Nance. So that's some another couple. We talked to Larry today, and he mentioned. So originally they put a six week timetable on it. When I, I I was like, well, what, what 
what was it? Was it just a little clean? He's like, yeah, minor cleanup. He goes, if I can be back in four to five weeks, I consider it minor. So he's already pushing his timeline up. Uh, he is going, he just re, uh, arrived in New Orleans, I think Wednesday. Uh, so he's going to start ramping up. He's traveling with the team now. He expects to be back on later. And I think when he does get in the lineup, you might even see some super jumbo lineups where he plays some three. Jackson's at the four, JV's at the five. I think you will see some lineups where him and Jackson are the four or five. So uh, when he, he gets did, back, he did some of that. In, he did some of that in Cleveland to to much success, guarding wing players pretty well. And uh, he's just got to let it fly from deep if he's open, which put, has always been Larry's bugaboo. He gets a little gun shy. You put him and not on Herb in the same lineup, and you know it might be some fun. I love not on Herb. Herb's good, man. I mean, we're <laughs> sitting here sort of not not joking, but just sort of joking about max contracts and all this. He's a good player. He's he's a, he's a really good find for them. They get this front office gets a lot of flack. Some of it's deserved, but like give him credit. Herb Jones is a steal. That was like one. It was one of the things I think we talked about in that opening pod about getting Herb and you know the the noise coming out of Nashville where they did their workouts because they couldn't do anything in in New Orleans because of Hurricane Ida. Zion wasn't there either, right? No, he was not there. But that that point we didn't know he wasn't there because of the foot. He was hurt. Yeah, we didn't know the foot was a thing at that point. But Herb was I, coming out of coming out of that, I was told by multiple people that Herb Jones was Willie Green's favorite player and you're going to see him on the court sooner rather than later. I think he played just a few minutes in the opener and then when somebody went down they were like, "Boom, Herb Jones starter." And I'm like, Okay, and then he just hasn't really left. I mean, I I'm a big big Herb Jones fan, especially with because of what he does on the defensive end. He's he made it. He's made enough open threes too. Yeah, um, even some contested threes. All right, Andrew Lopez, uh, you do a great job covering the Pels for us, and it is a uh, it is it is a different kind of job. Uh, <laughs> it is a uh, the the biggest story is the one who's not there kind of job, which yeah. is always weird to cover. But you do a great job. Thank you for lending us a little time on the Low Post Podcast. I hope to see you soon, my friend. Enjoy Mardi Gras. I, I certainly will. Thank you. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. 
all right, I'm a little trepidatious. I'm a little scared to do this because every time I talk about this team and every time I have this person to talk about this team, something horrible happens. From The Athletic, my friend and one of the nicest and best people in this business, John Krasinski covering the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm afraid to say the name of the team. John, how are you? I'm good right now, Zach, but I'm on pins and needles too because who knows what's right around the corner, right? Honestly, I I feel like this podcast is going to come out and five minutes later, it's going to be like Anthony Edwards injured in hang gliding accident. And I'm just going to be like, we can't, we can't do this. Last time we did this, you literally ended the podcast by saying every time we feel good about this franchise, something crazy bad happens. And the next day, Gerson Rosas was fired uh, for some some unpleasant reasons. So I'm, are, are you trepidatious? Are you scared? Or do you feel confident that we've turned, that the Wolves have turned a corner as a franchise? Well, I, I will say that when I made that comment, I made it for reasons like that. I, I kind of had heard some things were coming around the corner. I didn't know what was going to happen then. I had no idea there were some of the salaciousness of the details were, were going to be involved in things like that, but I just did not have a good feeling about, where the team was at and and you know covering this team for 17 years you you get those spidey senses and I've had those things tingling for almost my entire career covering this team just case in point real quickly the my first day on the job Zach on this beat 2005 was the day Flip got fired coming off of the you know Western Conference finals run you got Spree saying I gotta feed my family you got the Sam Cassell issues so my first day ever covering this team, Flip Saunders was fired, and it was just downhill from there. So um, so I've been covering some of that stuff, and it's been wild. Uh, but right now, I say this you know, carefully, right now it feels stable. It feels calm. It feels pretty good. So we'll see if they can sustain that for more than like three or four days. It feels calm. Anytime someone says that in a movie, everything is smooth sailing after afterwards. <laughs> no like everything, question, yeah. everything feels calm. Um, yeah, that's a long hill, by the way, that you've been going. So like, it's just like you're halfway down the hill. But is this hill going to end anytime soon? Uh, how, how am I going into the depths of hell? What's going on here? You wonder because it's been like I've had two playoff home games in 17 years where I've slept in my own bed. So um, that's been... It's been a, it's been something when you put it in that perspective, right? Like uh, one playoff series, two playoff home games in my entire Timberwolves career, pretty much. You know, when covering as full time, so maybe I'll get another one or two coming up around the corner here. We'll see. Also, one of the more forgettable post the post KG playoff appearance was one of the more forgettable playoff series to the point that I just did Bill Simmons podcast and he said something like, "Is Carl Anthony Towns ever played a playoff game? And I was like, yeah, remember Tibbs against the Rockets four games to one. And he was like, yeah, whoa, we all forgot about that one. That one, that might, was that the M- it couldn't have been the NBA TV series if Harden was in it, but it was a good candidate maybe to be the NBA TV series. Yeah. I think at least one of the games may have been, if I, if I remember, I can't remember, but uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was in and out. I will say like they were actually competitive in like three of those losses um the the fourth the game that they finally the the fourth loss they gave up 50 points in this in the third quarter and it was like vanquished but um but yeah overall like you knew that team was not going to last and you knew that team had no chance against the the one seed rockets even though they had 147 games and all this stuff but it, it behind the scenes you knew it was a disaster and well, it was just waiting to happen if they don't make the playoffs this year 
they should maybe retroactively hang a banner that just says competitive in three losses 2017-18 postseason and 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 have it at the is it still the target center it is still the target target center Center. let's talk about the wolves the wolves are 31 and 28 in solid possession of seventh which is the top seed in the play-in tournament in the western conference they are a robust ninth in offense and a interesting 15th in defense um by all accounts they they look like a, a good decent basketball team they have Three games between them and six on the high end. Three games between them and eighth on the low end. Their schedule is a little heavy on road games, and it's one of the hardest schedules in the league right out of the gate. They have like Memphis, Philly, Cleveland, Golden State. Um, All the projection systems have them as just a really like 60% chance to get right into that number seven seed, which I know all the Wolves fans are like, can we get to six? Then we're out of the play and then we're automatically in the playoffs. Seventh is fine. You get two cracks at home to win one and get in the playoffs. Is that that's a good outcome for this team stepping back, right? They you would you and the fam the team and the fan base would be happy with seventh and like those two shots to win one game. Absolutely. I mean, you started this season, and I think most of the outlook for this team was can they get in to the play in at all? Like, and, and know, by the they- way, you and I were optimists. You and I were yes. on board early saying it's a disappointment if they don't make the play in. Now, they, solidly seventh is higher than we thought, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you were looking at maybe nine or 10, just depending on how the West shook out, depending on what they did. And so that was the expectation coming in, again, with a lot of Wolves fans bracing for the worst and saying like, oh, what's going to happen here? So now that they have started to kind of show a little bit more backbone and a little more substance to them, um, Wolves fans are understandably getting a little greedy. They want to they want to get to six and get out of there. But yes, if they if they finished this season in seventh and went into the playing tournament in the seventh seed, because that would be what we're thinking, maybe 42, 43 wins um, somewhere in there. Maybe, um, maybe more, you know, more maybe more, that. maybe it's 44, maybe it's 44, 45. Um, I think most people at the beginning of the season would have said 37 wins, 36 wins. Like that'd be good. That would be a good season for the Timberwolves. So if you get, you know, eight, nine, 10 wins more than that, that's, I think everyone would be pretty happy with that. Before we get into the nitty gritty and particularly about their defense, which I think is under the radar, one of the most interesting subplots for the rest of the season, just zoom out for me, Russell Edwards Towns by the numbers the Wolves are something like plus 10 or 11 per 100 possessions with those three on the floor there's always going to be scrutiny over how shots are distributed you know Towns usage rate is like a radioactive issue sometimes when he goes two or three games with the third most shot attempts Um, the ball handling distribution between uh, Russell and Edwards is always going to be something that's interesting to monitor how many Edwards Towns pick and rolls versus Russell Towns pick and rolls. Russell's a probably a little bit better spot up shooter than Edwards, although Edwards is coming along. How do you think those three have coexisted on the court and as as sort of people and entities? Are they all happy with the sort of balance of control and power? Like I haven't heard really anything like, oh, there's a tug of war or this and that. It seems to be going okay. Yeah, I think like their personalities really kind of mesh in a way that that allows this to have more harmony than you might have if they were different. Um, and and so when you look at it, like Carl Anthony Towns is obviously their best player, the most efficient player on the team, um, an incredible shooter. And yet he has this kind of makeup where he is okay 
passing the ball. Like he wants other people to be involved. He doesn't generally want to take 25 shots in a game. And so I think that allows Edwards and Russell to have a little bit more authority in terms of saying, hey, I can take a a bunch of shots, even in big moments, I can go with it. And there's not this power struggle of that your best player saying, get me the freaking ball right now and get out of my way. That just does not happen here. Um, They also have Edwards and Towns also have a reverence for D'Lo's clutchness. Like there is like this willingness that Russell has to take these big shots that they respect. And even if they don't always go in, they're like, hey, man, uh, he's got the ice in his veins and all. They buy into that. And then Edwards is like this guy who's impossible not to like. Um, he is this charismatic dude. He's laughing and joking. He does not show any signs of jealousy about Towns or Russell or anything like that. He he does kind of you know just elicit a a, a feeling of I want everyone to be happy here, and that's how I'm going to be happy as well. So at least for this season and how this is going. All of that has worked out incredibly well, um, and I because I've here I've been here and I've seen it when it has not worked out, and when everyone's buttonheads and when wanting to fight each other in the locker room, that's just not the case here. They do seem to get along and they seem to understand how they complement each other a lot more than they step on each other's toes. Edwards, I haven't been able to be around these guys at all because of the pandemic in a real way. Anyway, he he seems to carry himself with a sort of like. I'm pretty confident I can be a 25-point-a-game scorer soon. He's at 22 now, shooting 36% on threes, 51% on twos. Like, I'm not worried. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried about strangling the offense. He just seems to be like, I'm. It's going to happen for me. Um, it, have you been able to like actually physically be around him and have real human conversations with him? And what is is he actually like this when the lights are off? Is he this? Is he this kind of funny and and and? I don't low key's not the right word, but just bursting with this energy that you just want to be around. Yeah, absolutely. Like the one word that I would use to describe Edwards and that has allowed him to kind of assert himself the way that he has and has people fallen in love with him locally here the way they do is he's authentic. Like none of this is fake. Like everything that he says in a press conference interview, he will say in the locker room, he will say over a, a drink, you know, he's nine, he's 20. So um, we can, we can say what we want to say about that. But, um, but he like, he's real like that, that there is a, a, just a fiber about him that is undeniable. And that's what allows people to kind of gravitate to him, but also to type, like he calls himself black Jesus and, and nobody really like, gets mad about it or thinks like, oh, this guy is it full of himself. No, he's just like, that's how he rolls. Like, that's just how he operates. And so um, people kind of laugh at it, but they also respect it because they're like, you know, there's no arguing with him. Like he he does not leave any room for interpretation on whether he's going to be a star, whether this team is going to be a great team. And all of that confidence that he has about himself individually translates to what he says about his teammates like he talks about Vanderbilt like he's Dennis Rodman he talks about Jaden McDaniels like he is the next Scottie Pippen and those guys get like blown up because of that and and so it he is the rising tide that lifts all boats and it's a it's a fun ride man like he he is just so young and so 
real and and so does not care what people think about him. He'll just say what he wants to say. And, and and that has just allowed him to be sort of this magnetic dude that I think really kind of holds this team together in some ways. Yeah, it, if for those who care about these things, and some people do and some people don't, and some players do and some players don't, he's going to be the face of the team more yes. than Towns. If Is he already locally the face of the team? Like his personality he, and the way he dunks and just the way he mm-hmm. plays versus, I mean, Towns has a beautiful game, a, a versatile game for a big man, but everyone is just going to gravitate toward this wing dunking power machine and, and plus his personality. Like, I don't know if Carl Towns cares and he's a top 10 to 15 player in his own right, but Anthony Edwards is going to be the the face of the team. Right. So here's like for, for football fans, the, the years uh, prior to 1998 for the Vikings, the, the, the organization was down. It was stale. Randy Moss comes in and boom, it's a WWE crowd in the Metrodome. The place is on fire. That's the kind of effect that Anthony Edwards' game has on sort of the fan base. Like, I've seen a team. couple of their recent games, and the crowds have seemed like coming up. through the TV. I'm like, is this a Minnesota game? This is loud. Yeah. Yeah, they're coming up, and and so Randy Moss caught bombs, and Anthony Edwards dunks bombs. Like that's what he does. Like it's it's an explosive game that that people really want to watch. And then on top of it, he has this personality that is that is really engaging. Here's the other thing right now that kind of factors into this that is totally unfair to Carl Anthony Towns. But Towns has been here seven years. He is associated with the Timberwolves dysfunction and lack of success, like, un, you know, unfairly to some degree with the revolving door of coaches and GMs and all the teammates that he's had that have really not been very good. Um, but he is on, you know, he's the face of the Timberwolves and that all of the Timberwolves years, besides the one Jimmy Butler year that fl- yeah, that went up in flames, have been in remarkably unsuccessful. And so he kind of is paying the price from a public perception about that, where Anthony Edwards is the shiny new toy. Like he he's the one that everyone just unwrapped at Christmas and wants to play, and they're going to put their video game to the side and play with this right now. And so I think that's a factor for Edwards as well. On top of it all, Cat, um, I my impression of Cat is he very much wants to win here. He very much wants to be here, and he has suffered enough losing already that if Anthony Edwards has to be the number one guy, he'll be Cat will be okay with that. I'll tell you, um, you know, it's amazing what winning does. I mean, you think about it. We're how many? How long are we away from Draymond Green on TNT saying we got to get Devin Booker out of Phoenix and getting fined for it? Yes. I think like that, like winning, and the Wolves aren't winning at a Phoenix level winning, but they're they're if they win and this is a fun year. That cures like a lot of stuff. That, that cures all that noise about all oh, the, the Knicks are lurking around the corner and yes. this team's trying to poach him and he's the next disgruntled superstar. If you, rarely are you on a winning team with an upward trajectory and you see a disgruntlement. You can be on a winning team in a plateau to downward trajectory, and we don't need to talk about examples of those. There are some, and and see disgruntlement if that's even a word. But winning and young and rising like that solves a lot of problems. Hundred percent, and I will sell. I'll tell you, like I've been around Cat since he came into the league, and I haven't seen him as happy as he is right now 
um, really since those first early days with KG and Ricky and, and, and when it was just all new and when it was just, you know, he's the fun loving 19 year old rookie, like he really enjoys being here and he enjoys Anthony Edwards and, and D'Lo and this, and these teammates and he enjoys winning. And so, um, you know, he went through some dark days these last couple of years. And I was, last time I was on your pod, I remember saying like, get ready because Cat is going to have a big season. And he's done that now. I mean, you saw him win the three-point contest and just the smile on his face. Like, it's just a really good situation for him. And I think he's a little more secure in himself right now, too, where if Anthony Edwards gets a little bit more of the love from fans or something right now, I mean, he can be okay with that because Anthony Edwards is doing a great job of letting Cat know that he's the most important part of this. And so Cat feels respected, but mostly he's just got a good team around him. Zach, he had his first six years in the league, he had one teammate who made the All-Star game the year before um, when, when he came on. He has not had anybody around him with the skill to compliment him like he does right now that gets along with them and now they all love him and they all they're they're all getting along together and so that's that's a great situation for him and and for them all that said these ridiculous over the shoulder one-handed no look hook passes he throws are cute are cute and funny until they cost you a playoff game in the or a play-in game in the fourth quarter cat stop man either just post up and shoot or throw a regular pass. They're just, have you talked to him about this? I'm dying yes. to have him on my podcast. And the first question is going to be like, dude, what are you doing with these passes? They're like, I wouldn't even throw these passes in pickup games. <laughs> some of, So some, some players have heat check shots. He has heat check passes. Like he gets into this thing where he's playing well or they're rolling and stuff. And then he wants to really do the over the shoulder. He wants to say like, look, Jokic ain't the only one who can throw these dimes. And he might and be, so he, might he might be, be the be. only one. Cat. <laughs> he very well might be. Um, but yeah, so that has been a, a point of conversation. And I think from the coaching staff as well, they're just like, come on, you know, just make the simple play. He's been doing more of that over the last month, month and a half. But yeah, every once in a while, still it's a cutter, and it's and sometimes Zach, it's like it's it, he's doing that, and he's throwing it into a tight window to Jared Vanderbilt, who, God bless him, does not exactly have Jerry Rice's hands, you know, and and so it's just like kind of understanding time and place, and and making those decisions, uh, not always the strong suit uh, for for Cat, and and I think that as you're right, as the stage gets brighter. As as the games mean more, they, that that has to be a, a cognizant thing for him is just to be careful about about what he's doing that hey, way. And by the way, that's the second Jared Vanderbilt mention for people who have not watched the Wolves this year. Tremendous. Watch Jared Vanderbilt because he, first of all, he defends everywhere, and the Wolves have have sort of sheepishly overdone the Rodman comparison, uh, and he's not nearly as good a player as Peak Dennis Rodman, who's a top seventy-five all-time player, etc. But and he's not as good of a rebounder in terms of volume or percentage, but he is a great rebounder. And even more so than Rodman, he's a highlight rebounder. He's a highlight above the rim. Where in the hell did that dude come from rebounder who has really, this is the luxury of having Carl Anthony Towns, the neck and neck with Dirk probably will surpass Dirk as the greatest mm-hmm. shooting big man ever. You can have a four in Vando who is essentially a five on offense who's just hanging around the rim for duckins and screen and rolls and all that. And he's fit in with their team. I want to talk about their defense because 
the last two games before the All-Star break, and I caught, I caught the Charlotte game, and, and I didn't catch the, the Toronto game, but I watched some film of it. All of a sudden, this team that's been blitzing, trapping, the most like Miami Heat, like peak Chris Bosh era Miami Heat, blitzing defense with Towns at the point of attack, trapping pick and rolls 30 feet from the hoop, putting the onus on the other three guys around the play to rotate into the paint and then fly back out the shooters. All of a sudden, that team, for two games, started defending like the Brook Lopez Bucks with Towns hanging in the hanging in the paint, dropping back on pick and rolls. Even I was watching some of the Toronto game, telling people, come at me, like telling the drivers, mm-hmm. come at me, I'm waiting for you. That was a sea change schematically. I'm curious to see if it's permanent. Uh, the reason they did it is obvious is because the league had kind of started to figure out that blitzing defense and okay, we're gonna we're gonna bait the trap, pass over it, ping, 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 open three, ping, 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 layup. And if you look at the numbers, Minnesota has a lot of ton of threes and a ton of layups, and they were really subsisting on steals. And when the steals fell off and the team's opponents started making threes at a normal rate, the structure kind of wobbled a bit. So I, I, I know you noticed that too. I, you've probably talked to Chris Finch about it. This, to me, is one of the more interesting nerd storylines of the last 20 games. This is a good team that's trying to find an identity on defense, thought it had one, and is now second-guessing itself and asking Towns to play a style that, frankly, he hasn't been very good at. He's not been enough of a presence at the rim. That's why they played this trapping style, kind of to protect him. What are you expecting these last 20 games from how is their defense going to look? Yeah, so I think like they were a top 10 defense through the first month, month and a half of the season. And with that blitzing style, one thing that I think they came to realize as it went along was that that's really hard to play for 82 games. Like you heard a lot of people, a lot of Wolves toward the the, the, the uh, all-star break start to say, we're tired. Like my legs, this, you know, you get bumps and bruises. It's harder to close out. It's harder to to kind of uh, to, to cover the backside and, and do all the things that they need and scramble the way that they were doing and rotate. And so Chris Finch kind of at the behest sometimes of the players, but also looking ahead to the playoffs, started to say, we got to mix some multiples in because we are getting scouted and they are exposing all of these weaknesses. So they're trying to be more versatile with more switching, with some of that drop coverage mixed in and trying to kind of like mold this on the fly and get ready for the playoffs so that they can kind of adjust game to game. And I do think that trying to incorporate those things on the fly during the season really messed with the Wolves a little bit. And they were looked like lost sometimes. They would switch to zone and they had no idea where they were supposed to be. And, and so I think that a lot of the 23 games down the stretch here, which they do have more practice time too, is going to be geared toward getting everyone on the same page with being able to play several different styles because they know that one style will not be enough for them and it hasn't been enough for them. But I still think after a week off, they'll come out pretty energized and they're going to need to against Memphis and Philly. But um but you're going to see them mixing and matching a lot more than maybe earlier on in the season where it was all just scramble, 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 create skills, create, create turnovers and get running. Um, I think they hit the wall a little bit with that. And now they're trying to kind of recover and, and, and figure out what they can do. Well, when you have Russell and Towns at the point of attack, you know, that's going to be a place that teams are going to pick at. But that also means you have Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards and Jared Vanderbilt around that play and that's a lot of nasty a lot of athleticism and a lot of speed mcdaniels off the bench Jaden mcdaniels comes off the bench same kind of profile like those guys Mm -hmm. can shut off the paint 
and and fly back out. But you nailed it with I think they're beginning to look ahead to higher stakes games and not just higher stakes games, but better offenses. The more shooting and passing the other team has, the harder it is to sustain that kind of defense. And I think they do need to get more versatile. That said, I think you're right. I think they're pretty good playing that way. And that should absolutely maybe still be the base of how they play. It's also their, their, I'd love this team so much. They're the weirdest team in the league. (laughs) They're last in defensive rebounding rate. Yes, and I think, terrible. And I think some of that is their biggest guys are trapping 30 feet from the rim. Exactly. And, and also they're not awesome at boxing out. That's a whole different story. And they are last or worst in foul rate, which is or opponent free throw rate, which is, again, part and parcel to if we're flying around. That means we're flying around. We're going to like run into people or get mm-hmm. behind the ball and reach. So I, I think they, they have the one of the weirdest profiles on defense in the league. I'm interested to see how that settles in. And then yeah. you throw in – go ahead. Oh, I was just say on, on that Towns historically has been a 12 rebound, 11 rebound, 10 rebound a game guy, and he's down right around nine. And and a lot of that is because he has been coming out and playing the pick and roll and, and setting the high wall, and he's not in position for those rebounds. And that's part of the, the the thing that they're trying with that drop is maybe they get him back toward the rim a little bit more. One of their best rebounders can help with that a little bit, but that opens up some other problems as well. So uh, that. But they, the the one of their biggest problems defensively is they just can't end possessions unless they are creating a turnover, and and that's where they're getting feasted on here in the last few weeks. And then you throw in the sort of they didn't do anything at the deadline to upgrade their depth, and so their bench feels like such feast or famine. Where McDaniel's struggled at the beginning of the season after after being really hyped up as like, oh, is he is he untouchable? And Ben Simmons trade talks and what? No, okay, that seems weird. Uh, and then he's kind of found his footing and then up and down, up and down. Malik Beasley has been just all over the place, but he's up to 35% on threes. He's like, it's wild, but he's trending kind of back to his normal shooting percentage. Then you had like the Jalen Noel month where he was cooking off the bench. And I, Jalen Noel, God bless him. I, I think in his heart of hearts thinks he could average like 30 in the NBA. And, and, 100%. And, and then, but he's now out of the rotation and, and McLaughlin, Jordan McLaughlin's back in and making things happen. So I... Like, how is this bench going to map out? I was I was kind of surprised that Noel fell out of the rotation, frankly. Yeah, I think that Noel fell out of the rotation because of defense. Um, and when when their defense was really sliding downward in middle January into February, um, Chris Finch went to try and find some other way. And Torian Prince's minutes went up, and he started to hit shots as well. And and so like they tried to get a little bigger and a little just just different uh, defensive profile. But um, it's an interesting group because when they are rolling, when Malik Beasley is hitting shots, uh, it really they can be impactful and they can win. And also, Zach, when they are playing against a smaller second unit, that's when that team really can can make a difference because Nas Reed can be decent against smaller bigs. It's just when he's going up against the big guys that he totally gets overshadowed and swallowed up and really does struggle. And so when Nas is shooting threes and then is getting to the rim and he has this nice little spin move to a to a finish laying at the rim that catches people off guard, they can play that way. And Noel gets has a great mid-range game. He can get into and, and has these awkward bucket getter shots. You, he's from Seattle, Jamal Crawford, Brandon Roy, like, like all these guys who have that kind of herky-jerky game. It reminds like me a little bit of, of of like Portland here, of, of Gary Trent when you would just see glimpses yeah. of it in Portland, like mid-rangers, step backs, floaters. I'm like, damn, he just made that. Like this guy's got some, he's got some swagger to him too. 
Super creative, yep. And and he is a guy that when you're you're um uh the other team's on an eight zero run, he can get you a bucket and just like just stop that. So that's good. But he's got to improve defensively. And so they are a Jekyll and Hyde team. They are a unit like they can bring a lot of energy and they can hit shots and get things going. They have saved several games for the Wolves this season. But then there's also nights like at Memphis, um, you know, in I think it was January at, at Memphis where they just were terrible. And Malik Beasley's like one for nine and and Jalen Noel isn't hitting and, and Jordan McLaughlin's too small. And and they just look like, holy cow, if, if they don't have Edwards and Towns going for 30 each, they got no chance. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's wrap by talking about Russell, who we haven't talked much about. I I did not like the Russell Wiggins trade from the beginning for them. Or I, I did it's not that I didn't like it. I just thought the Warriors had clearly won the trade and they did. They um did. and and by the midpoint of last season, it became clear that this franchise was about Edwards and Towns and that Russell was maybe gonna be the third wheel, but like T B D. And then this year I just can't I can't figure it out. Like, like I look at the numbers, like, he's never going to be a good defensive player in the NBA, which is no shame. A lot of point-of-attack point guards aren't. 41% overall, 35% from three, 47% on two. He's a bad two-point shooter. He's a bad rim finisher. He doesn't get to the line a lot. And he's making 30-whatever million dollars a year. And yet, he he has, and I've never been a huge fan of his game. Like, he's fine. But he, and, and it could be just because his backup situation is so scattershot. But when he's on the floor... I feel Huge. I feel comfortable. Like I feel like there's a calm over the team because Edwards can get pretty frenetic with the ball. Towns can Towns is a big man. He needs people to get him the ball. I just and maybe again, maybe it's just in comparison to what the other in-house options are, but I feel a certain calm when he's in the game. He can make spot up shots around the Russell Edwards pick and roll. What is his kind of place in the long-term hierarchy there is is this a big three or is this a big two and tbd how the point guard fits well i i mean i think it is a little bit tbd because he's extension eligible this summer um what is he going to be expecting i don't know he's a max player is he going to be expecting max to stay um are they going to be able to get him Ooh. you know different right like like what do you do with that because like to your point zach there are limitations to his game. There are all these things, but when he is on the floor, he makes a positive impact on what they're doing. And these guys like when he's on the floor and miss him when he's not. And, and so, um, 
I, I do think a lot of it comes down to what it, what does the money look like long term? If they can get some sort of a reasonable kind of middle ground, then maybe, yeah, he can stay here for a long time. If he's going to be kind of, I want the max and 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 only the max, then I, I don't know. Then maybe there's more of a conversation, but there's no question. This has been his best season, I think. And the other part of it is, is like, he has all of these like things where he's hot and cold as a shooter, you know, he doesn't get to the line all this thing. He passed. This has been his best passing year. He's like, a he's great, been incredible. great passer. And In by, transition. Like, and by the unbelievable. way, this is a 10 things item waiting to happen that I haven't written yet. One of my all-time favorite players in the league is Manu Ginobili. Yes. The Spurs used to run this play called weak fly. I've written about it before. They called it weak fly where Manu would bring the ball up the sidelines and Tony Parker would just be jogging down and Patty Mills would do it too. Would just be jogging down the middle of the floor covered, covered. And almost like a football wide receiver, accelerate. And Manu would throw these long one-handed passes over the defender with his back turned <laughs> in the paint, lay up for those guys. Every Spurs alum, Budenholzer, Brett Brown, who went anywhere else, tried to teach anybody to throw this pass. Mm. No one could do it. They either didn't have the guts to do it, the accuracy to do it. Some of it was disastrously bad. They could not do it. And if you ask, if you say the words weak fly to anyone in the Spurs family tree, they will start smiling and telling you stories about Manu Ginobili for an hour. The only guy I've ever seen that throws that pass is D'Angelo Russell. This mm -hmm. season, he has started to hit that pass. He gets like one a game. Even the announcers have started to know it. I don't know where this came from. In my dream, and I have a call out to investigate if, if this is true, I'm almost sure it's not. Prigioni, who's an assistant coach, has, yes. has passed this along from Ginobili to D'Angelo. That's what I want the story to be, John. It, it, it entirely could be because, I mean, Prigioni is the one who uh, is the coach who shoots, D'Angelo Russell shoots with before the game. They've known each other back to Brooklyn. They're very tight. Maybe so I'm I right. Hope, Maybe this I, is I, it. I hope you are right. That, that would be great. because Now I'm you're going to steal this story from me. It's going to be on TheAthletic.com, and I'm going to get yelled <laughs> at by my bosses for giving you a story. I'm going to the arena right now. I'm, I'm tracking it. No, I'll, I'll, I will give you that. I'm going to text. I'm going to text Prigioni and be like, don't talk to John. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah. He He's is, a great to, passer. to your point, he is a tr it's his roll. best it's his best skill. Yep. And and so like the offense just moves and gets so much better shots and like you can what Finch has done who I mean we haven't talked about Chris Finch and he's been phenomenal this season. But what Chris Finch has done a lot is he will pair D'Angelo with the second unit and then you get D'Angelo Nas Reed and that's how Nas gets in, engaged and activated and gets good shots. You get D'Angelo and Jordan McLaughlin where McLaughlin will feed Russell on the wing and he gets good looks. So like he really fits well with that second unit and likes to play with them and, and have kind of his own way to run the show for a little while. And then in the fourth quarter, then it's him and Edwards and towns going at it. Let's end where we started, which is a big question that I haven't, I haven't asked you. And frankly, I really haven't been asking anyone because it hasn't been on the front burner and it's somewhat important for the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise in their endless quest for any sort of quasi stability. Who's running the front office when next season starts? Is it Sachin Gupta or is it TBD, President of Basketball Operations X? I, I mean, it's, right now it has to be TBD. Um, be, but I do know that Sachin Gupta has done a good job of making good impressions with ownership, Glenn Taylor, Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez, all of that stuff. I mean, he has a great r relationship with Chris Finch. They get along well. He's, But he is definitely also a quiet 
front office guy. He is, you know, low ego, like that sort of thing. And there are some people who believe that um, the new ownership group wants to make a splash. Um, is that going to be possible for them to do? I don't know. But what, have, what they have told Gupta, what they have operated under this whole season is that we're going to evaluate things when the season finishes and we'll decide, you know, hey, is this a thing where we want to be stable? We've had all of these GMs and all of these head coaches. Do we just want to kind of build on this? Or is there an opportunity to go out and add someone kind of over the top that tries to take them to another level? But so far, it's been kind of, hey, we're going to just see how he does in this role and see how this team looks with with him running the show. But neither way would would surprise me at this point where they could come out and say, we're going to keep Gupta for another couple of years and he's running it. Or you know what, uh, we want to go out and find a dynamic leader and, and and go that way. I think that I think all things are on the table right now. I think Gupta actually did a nice job around the trade deadline. He he went big game hunting for Simmons, as the Wolves have very publicly. Mm-hmm. You've reported it a lot. Looked at Simmons, couldn't get anything done, and then just didn't do anything for the sake of doing something. He didn't do anything for. They didn't trade a pick. He didn't trade two seconds. He didn't trade anything to move up two wins or cinch the seventh spot. Sometimes, like, just just let it be. Don't just give up an asset just to do it. I thought I thought it was a good – I'm sure they looked at other stuff I don't know about, but I thought it, I thought patience and, and, and passivity, frankly, was totally fine. I think, to me, the most impressive part about that, Zach, is the position that Gupta is in right now. Like, he is an essentially an interim guy. He could say, I'm going to make a move just to make a move and try and justify my existence and try and earn, you know, my, my way back on here. And instead he did not do that. He like hung with it and he didn't sacrifice the future at all for anything that they were doing. And I think that's a lot harder for someone in his position to do. I, I have reported that they had extensive talks with Washington about Montrezl Harrell. Um, and in the end, I think the wizards took Charlotte's offer because it wouldn't push them into the luxury tax the way it, that Minnesota's offer would have. And so they went that way. Um, but uh, there wasn't, you know, a, a, I don't think a lot of, they, they talked about Marcus Smart and they talked about a few other things that they just couldn't get done. But instead of like a panic move or a, like, I'm going to show you what I can do move, um, he held the forward and, and did not sacrifice their future. And I think that's an admirable thing for a, for a GM in his spot that is trying to kind of grab hold of the, of the whole thing to, to do that way. John Krasinski, you just do a spectacular job covering the Wolves and the NBA in general. You have a piece out over the weekend about Flip Saunders and the poetry of Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine, his old draft picks making the all-star game along with Cat. It's a wonderful piece. Uh, you just do great work. Every time you drop something, I see it on Twitter, bam, I'm reading it. So I, I appreciate you lending us a little time. They got Memphis. Are you at there? Is the game in Minnesota tonight? So you got a nice fun night. game tonight. John Morant's in town. The show's in town. The Globetrotters are in town. Uh, enjoy it, John. And thank you for your work. Yep. And we get Harden and Embiid tomorrow. So that'll be fun too. And uh, I appreciate the kind words, Zach. You know, I think the world of you, you're the best in the business. So anytime uh, I can join you, it's always a good time. <laughs>